good morning. It's good to see you all here at Woven Covenant Church. Uh, It's my privilege to serve as the lead pastor of this congregation, Shepherd Among Shepherds, and to share a word with you. My name is Wayne Park, by the way, if I didn't say that, and I want to welcome you to Woven today. Last Sunday, we started a new 10-week, probably a little bit more, a fall series on the subject of work. And every Sunday, uh, for those of you that are regulars here at Woven, you come into church week in, week out, and then tomorrow morning is when the quote-unquote real life begins. You go back to work, you go back to your place of uh, occupation and employment, and it seems like that's where life happens, and everything that we've heard about, everything that we felt on Sunday morning gets kind of lost. And I'm here today to talk about how the spirituality is not just assigned to one day a week, Sunday, but spirituality is something that we can practice nine to five, Monday to Friday. And so we're in this series that's called Sanctifying Monday to Friday, where we're talking about work. We're talking about what you do as spiritual, and it's, you know, many times people think, well, he's the pastor. He's the one that does spiritual work, really, truly spiritual work. Actually, I think that's a faulty assumption. The notion that just pastors, first of all, that we only work on Sundays, and the notion that only Sunday is a spiritual day is faulty. If you are a Christian and the work you do is ethical, what you do, I would say, is just as spiritual as what I do here from the front, from the platform, only on Sunday. What you do as people who sit in the pews, what you do in the real world is just as important. And so, uh, not just important, but spiritual. That's what I'm trying to say. It's spiritual. And so last Sunday, we talked about work. We kind of gave a theological foundation, and we talked about how work is good, Most of us think that it's because of sin that we are working today, that our jobs are the result of a divine accident or perhaps something that we did wrong many, many years ago, and therefore we are punished forever by working. The truth is, work existed from the very beginning. All the way to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in fact, the very first verse in the entire Bible shows us God working. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so work existed from the very beginning, before the fall, before things went down the tubes. And so what that tells us is work is not a bad thing. It's not intrinsically a bad thing. Work, in a way, brings us back to the garden. When we work well, when we work ethically, and if you are a Christian, in a sense, brings us back to the original state. I want to start off today by talking about work, but kind of talking about it from a different angle. I want to talk about Sabbath again, because sometimes in order to understand something, you have to understand its opposite. In order to understand work, you have to also understand rest. In order to understand rest, we have to understand work. And I know I've spoken on Sabbath a couple of weeks back. Throughout this series, intermittently, I'm going to talk about Sabbath again and again why? Because you don't need to hear a message on Sabbath. You need to memorize a message on Sabbath. We don't need to hear 
that we need to rest from our work and labors. We need to memorize and build this into part of our lives. And so part of my job, week in and week out, is not just to preach, but also to remind throughout Scripture that word comes up repeatedly. Remember, remember, remember to Sabbath. Remember on the seventh day, rest. For me, this is a message I need to hear even myself. And so I'm going to begin today on this talk on Sabbath with an illustration to set the stage. You are the owner of a factory. Factory is growing, business is going well, and you are a conscientious, ethical, good business owner. You're a Christian. You heard a preaching on Sabbath one Sunday, and you thought about your company, you thought about your factory, and you think to yourself, I have um, a good number of workers and employees who can work different shifts. Uh, I'm an ethical, you know, I comply with labor laws. I don't abuse my workers, kind of like the video that you saw before where you had somebody that was really wrestling. You know, these, these people are using child labor. It's unethical. He said, I felt like a dead man walking in those days. But for you, you're an ethical business owner and you don't mistreat your people. Your employees have rest. They have two days off every week. And on top of that, your factory uses technology. There's machines. And so in other words, your factory can conceivably run 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you can keep producing and you never really need to shut down the factory. You don't need to. Your people are resting, you're resting, and the machines are taking care of the rest. And so the question is, when it comes to Sabbath, do you think it's necessary to still shut down the factory for one day a week? One 24-hour period, as the Jews observe, it's sundown to sundown. Is it necessary? What do you think? Think about that question. Is it necessary to shut the factory down? And that question is going to frame our discussion today because what is Sabbath really about? Didn't Jesus say Sabbath is for man? If we're resting, then why do we need to shut everything down? And so this, lie, this gets to the heart of Sabbath. This lies at the heart of Sabbath. And I'm going to talk about that in three headings this morning. If you look in your bulletin, you'll find a note sheet like this. And the three headings... Sabbath as protest, number one. Second is Sabbath as blessing. And third, Sabbath as a mirror. Sabbath as protest, Sabbath as blessing, and Sabbath as mirror. And we're going to talk through Jeremiah chapter 17 today as we talk about this subject of Sabbath. And we begin right there, 17 verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord said to me. Go and stand at the gate of the people through which the kings of Judah go in and out. Stand also at all the other gates of Jerusalem and say to them, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all people of Judah and everyone living in Jerusalem who come through these gates. Now here, this is what the Lord says. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates of Jerusalem. Do not bring a load out of your house or do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your ancestors. 
Yet they did not listen or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and would not listen or respond to discipline. And so what God tells Jeremiah is, Jeremiah, I'd like you to preach a series on Sabbath to your people because my people have not been resting on the seventh day. And instead of keeping the Sabbath, which is the fourth command and is an important command, people continue to work. And Jeremiah might have said, well, what's the big deal? Does that really matter? And God says, it's important for my people to rest and also to worship me. And so Jeremiah goes out, and he begins to preach at the people, but they don't listen. And he begins to tell them, you know, Sabbath, it's a commandment for a reason. Not only is it for worship unto God, but it's good for you. And they don't listen. And so God tells Jeremiah, I want you to do something, and I want you to do something, something called a theatric. A theatric. Now, for uh, uh, our Broadway-inclined friends here, you know what theatrics are. In other words, for me, if I were to preach and the message wouldn't come across, maybe I would do some kind of, like, I, I would do something to get the attention of the people. God would tell his prophets from time to time to do something that would get the attention and make the people stop and recognize. For example, the prophet Ezekiel had been preaching and telling his people, unless we repent of our sins, Jerusalem is going to be besieged. The people wouldn't listen. And so one day God says, Ezekiel, lie down on your side and on the ground, I'd like you to build a scale model of the city of Jerusalem. And he wanted him to lie on his side for something like 360 days or something like that. You can correct me if I'm wrong. And while he's there, like play with toys, like lay siege to Jerusalem. And while you're at it, take dung, bake your bread over the dung so that when people walk by, they would say, Pastor, what are you doing? What are you doing on your side? Why are you doing in the middle of the street, lying down, playing with feces and eating bread and playing with toys? Because the point that he's trying to get across through the theatric is that unless we pay attention to this message, it's going to hurt us and it's important for us to hear. In the same way, God tells Jeremiah to perform a theatric to get the attention of the people. And the attention is, on the seventh day, the people are not worshiping. They are not involved in a house or a community of worship. They are not Sabbathing, and they are not resting. Therefore, I want you to go and stand at the gates of Jerusalem, is what it says. Now, here's the thing. I can see Jeremiah kind of shy, like, uh, you want me to do What? Go and stand at the gates. Uh, okay, so Jeremiah kind of goes to the gates. He takes out a, a stack of, of witness tracks. You ever see those? It's like when somebody knocks on your door and you roll your eyes and then they give you a track. And what do you do once you get it? You throw it away, right? Even I do that. And so he stands on the street corner by the gate and he says, excuse me, excuse me. You know, you, you, you shouldn't be doing this today. You know, you should be kind of, you should be at church. You should be worshiping. You should be dedicating your, 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 your seventh day, you know, and everybody, you know, I remember in New York uh, when I was living there in the city, um, we saw this every day, somebody on the corner giving out tracks, and then we'd walk one block later and what would you see? Tracks all over the floor. Is that what God tells Jeremiah to do? Actually, I think there's more to it than that. As I've studied this passage very carefully, it says, 
stand at the gates of Jerusalem. But in the Hebrew language, there is a preposition that's used there. That preposition, b, doesn't necessarily translate at as much as it translates in. And you see this in other translations. God doesn't tell Jeremiah to stand at the gate. Excuse me, could you kind of stop doing that? He says, I want you to climb over the railing and at 8 o'clock on Monday morning, get into the middle of 610 and stop traffic and stand in the gates and tell them this is really hurting you and you should be observing the Sabbath. That preposition in I took this up with my Old Testament professor, and I said, Professor, what do you think about this? And he said, I think you're right. But I want you to understand that the gates of Jerusalem were not these little picket fence gates. So he really wouldn't have blocked anything. But I'm thinking in my mind, it doesn't matter whether the gate is a picket fence gate or if it's 10 lanes of highway. You crawl out and lie down on I-10 at 8 a.m. on Monday morning. You will disrupt the economy. You will become an obstruction to work for the entire city. That is what God tells Jeremiah to do. Obstruct the work. Become an impediment. Protest. Friends, the first application when it comes to Sabbath, when it comes to this, when we're when we're saying, I don't want to get out of bed, I don't want to worship God, I'd rather stay in the office, I've got work to catch up on, I have homework to do. And what the, the principle and the application that I like to give, Sabbath, the first fill in the blank, is protest. Protest my participation in the functioning of economy. I got to get up today. I got to get to church. I got to worship. I got to get up today. I have to make sure that I don't, that I, I need a 24-hour period away from the job. Protest the functioning of the economy. I want to give you an image that constantly comes up to my mind when I think about what Jeremiah did, standing in the way and refusing to budge. If you could pull up that picture of the tank man out of um, Tiananmen Square. And if you recall this photograph, actually the, the photos don't do it justice. The video is more powerful, where what you see is during the Tiananmen Square massacre and the protests, and the government was cracking down, killing, literally opening fire and killing students, and one man had enough. And the next morning, as the tanks were rolling in, he stood in front of the tank with his groceries in hand, and he wouldn't let it pass. And you can, see the, you, can see the, uh, uh, you can see the tanks backing up like whole row of tanks stopped up because tank man would not let them pass. And the first tank gut commander is like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And he tries to move and he goes like this. And he goes like this and simply would not let the column of tanks pass. There's a sense of a protest happening here. And I hate to use um, a very important event in Chinese history just for religious purposes, um, but there's something powerful in that image that I think applies to Sabbath. From time to time, we have to protest the tank. We have to move to the side and say, I'm not letting you through. We have to move to the side like Jeremiah and say, no, I'm protesting. And what is the tank but ourselves? Do you hear that? What is a tank but me? 
You know what the hardest thing for me to do is when I wake up in the morning, not check my email or check Facebook or check the status or check the markets or whatnot. What is the first thing you do when your eyes open up in the morning? Protesting ourselves sometimes is the hardest thing because who is the tank? Me. I'm a tank. I am the tank. I'm the one that says I'm going to get what I want now and I'm going to walk all over whoever I need to get it. And that's wrong. That's wrong. And sometimes the number one tank we need to stop is ourselves. But there's another aspect to the tank. Friends, we live in a culture that prizes and rewards advancement, growth. If you've grown faster, if you've grown quicker and bigger, and you, the, the market drives us to perform, perform, perform. And I'll tell you this, communism, it doesn't have anything on capitalism. Communism is a broken system. But the thing is, if communism kills by government control, Capitalism kills by unregulated growth and the cancer of just uncontained demand. If communism kills by totalitarianism, capitalism kills by cancer. Growth, 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 now, 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 15-hour workdays, perform, perform, perform. I read, these, I read these magazines about business. I think they're fluff, some of them, uh, some of these entrepreneurial uh, rags that are out there and they prize it's, it appears to me the workaholic culture that says I work 10 hours a week I work, I work 10 hours a day I work 15 hours a day I don't, I don't take vacations I don't have weekends I work, work, work I perform, I perform I follow the economy and the market every turn and I grow, grow, grow and that I think is something we also need to protest we need to protest that as well what is your tank, friends? Think just for a second. What is my tank? What is the thing that I just really need to step in front of once a week and say, no, enough is enough. There are more important things in my life, my family, my church, my worship of God. You know, I shared this analogy I think either last week or weeks back. God blesses you with work. You know, he gave you the last five or six days without disability. You didn't lose an arm. You didn't lose a finger. For example, my, my father-in-law was forced into early retirement because he literally had an accident that lost several fingers. You're fortunate that you can work. You're blessed. Is it so much trouble for us on the seventh day to rest from that and say, God, you deserve my worship because you've given me so much. You've blessed me with so much. Friends, the seventh day, protest, protest something. Second heading is Sabbath as blessing. God tells Jeremiah and Jeremiah tells his congregation, he says, listen, if we, observe if we observe Sabbath, you know there's a blessing? There's a blessing to worshiping God once a week. There's a blessing to resting and seizing from our work. There's a blessing to giving God our seventh day. And we see that in chapter 17, verse 24. 
If you are careful to obey me, declares the Lord, and bring no load through the gates of this city. In other words, it's a picture of import and export. And do no commerce, but you keep the Sabbath day holy by not doing any work. Then kings who sit on David's throne will come through the gates of the city. They and their officials will come riding in chariots, horses accompanied by men of Judah and those living in Jerusalem. The city will be inhabited forever. Friends, this is a picture of prosperity. Prosperity. People will come from the towns of Judah, the villages around Jerusalem, from Benjamin and the western foothills, from the hill country, Negev, and they'll be bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices. They'll bring grain offerings and incense and bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. What he's saying is God will provide. There will be blessings. There will be abundance if we'll just cease from labor on the seventh day. You know, the thing about taking a seventh day off, we think that we will be cursed, really, deep down inside. Deep down inside, we don't expect a blessing if we Sabbath. It's counterintuitive for us to drop out of the race for one day. It's counterintuitive for us to give back to God in a culture where you gain by taking and as I've shared this story, you've had people that are cutting down uh, trees and loggers. They have to hack away at all of these. They have to cut into itty-bitty pieces the wood. And yet you have one logger who takes the seventh day off and yet produces more. Why? Because he was sharpening his axe on the seventh day. More work does not equal more productivity, believe it or not. In God's economy, scaling back 14% of your work results in blessing. Blessing. Why 14%? I did the math. Actually, it's 14.2857%. That's one-seventh of your work. If you figure you are doing uh, you know, 100% of your work, if you're going to scale that back, that percentage is 14.2857, but I'll round it off to 14%. And that's the challenge question. How can I scale back my work 14%? To what extent can I scale back what I'm doing 14%? That doesn't sound good, Pastor. I'm uncomfortable with scaling back my work because somebody will get ahead of me. You know what this is similar to? It's similar to tithing. We give God 14% of our labor hours and 10% of our income. Why? Because what we're implicitly conveying through those acts of tithing and Sabbathing is that God is the one who blesses the other six-sevenths and another, the other nine-tenths. God is the one who gives. He can just as easily take back. What we're saying is, God, I trust you. Tithing, Sabbathing, they go hand in hand in some ways because they're acts of trust. They're acts of trust where we say, God, I don't feel good about giving away 10% of my income. I don't feel good about taking one day off from work. But I know not only is it ethical, I know you command it, but I also know that the blessings will come. The blessings will come if I open up the pipeline from inside out. Do you remember that analogy? 
that's in the, tithe, the, the finance series a couple of months back, and I think that's available on our podcast somewhere if you look it up. But this whole analogy of the pipeline being jammed, how come the blessings aren't coming in? How come good things are not happening in my life? Because it's stopped from the inside. And in order to open it up, we have to, the stoppage has to be opened. It can't be opened from the outside. God won't give unless we from the inside give outwardly and open up that stoppage. And we give of our 10% or our 14% of work. Friends, if you keep the Sabbath, I think this is a promise that we can bank on. If you keep the Sabbath, then kings, officials, chariots, horses will come through the gates. The city will be inhabited forever. And people will bring sacrifices, grain offerings, incense, thank offerings. There will be prosperity. There will be abundance. And no sword, no harm. Nothing will touch you. Trust me and turn it over. 14%. 14%. You know, personally, I think about my 14%. Personally, I think hard about what Sabbath means for me. I talked about how we all wrestle with covetousness. We wrestle, well, not all of us, but you know, some of us might wrestle with comparison. We wrestle with how come I'm not as far as these people are, or my neighbors, I can't keep up with the Joneses. Sabbath is the day when we stop looking around. And we say, thank you, God. You've given me so much. And we bless him back and we trust him. We conclude with a third and last heading, Sabbath as mirror. And I'll add Sabbath as mirror to your soul. Sabbath as mirror to my own soul. The Sabbath in many ways shows us the state of our own being, of where we are. I can tell that I'm not in a good place when on my day off, all I'm thinking about is what? This, <laughs> for me personally. On my day off, all I'm thinking about is work. That's when I know I'm not doing well. That's when I know that I'm not in a good place. And in that sense, I think Sabbath is a mirror to our souls. Friends, we bring our baggage with us to church on Sunday mornings. We bring our baggage with us. We bring the stuff that we're stressed out about. And in some ways, I, I really, really hope that you leave this place every Sunday feeling like this. God's got it. God's got it. I hope that's what Woven does for you. I hope that it does that for your spirits. Listen to these words as I conclude this passage from Jeremiah, verse 27. Listen, guys. You know, he says, if you do this, the blessings will come. But if you do not, if you do not obey me to keep the Sabbath day holy by not carrying a load as you come through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle an unquenchable fire. I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem. And that fire will consume everything. You know what I mean when I say that Sabbath is a mirror to our own souls? What I mean is this. We don't need God to punish us. 
we're breaking his laws or we don't need God. We punish ourselves. The unquenchable fire, it doesn't need to come from heaven. Friends, we destroy ourselves. I was thinking back to the time in my life where um, I remember when I was working in New York City, and I've kind of shared a lot about this, and I'll continue to share this, my experiences throughout this series. And I remember sitting in the fire escape, not the fire escape, but it was this, the stairwell. I was in Midtown Manhattan, 30-somewhat street, in a building. I was probably not healthy, not eating well. And I remember that morning coming in so tired. I have, I have been working for a long season without a break, no rest, no healthy notions of vacation, and a strong kind of workaholism driving my own soul. And I remember sitting in that stairwell with my head in my hands like this, on my knees. Well, not on my knees, my, my elbows on my knees, and just sitting there not, not knowing why I was feeling so terrible, so down. And as I felt this, it was the beginning of a period of depression and heaviness and, and weariness in my bones. It was so difficult to get through that. But the thing is, why was I there? As I examined my heart, I was exactly where I wanted to be. As I examined my heart, I was the one that was driving myself. As I really think about it, I wanted to be the next guy to make the cover of a magazine. I wanted to be the next guy that would make this much money. I wanted to be the person that would be famous, and I would sacrifice anything on the altar to get it. Do you hear me? Do you hear yourselves? I would sacrifice anything to get what I wanted, including my own health. I would sacrifice my relationships. I would sacrifice my vitality. I would sacrifice my reputation. I would sacrifice sleep. I would sacrifice rest. I would sacrifice anything and everything to get my ambition and my glory. Friends, this is a sick picture called workaholism. And the fill in the blank, the last, or the last question for reflection is, what or who would I step on to get what I want what would I step on or who would I step on to get that thing that I want so bad? There's a story about a judge. One day this judge looked out and he saw a young man in front of him in chains and he said, I know you. I know your daddy. I remember you when you were a boy. Your daddy's a friend of mine. And the little boy who's now a man in chains, young man, he says, yeah, I remember you, sir. And he says, your dad, he, he, he wrote that book, didn't he? The book on um, the law of trusts. He wrote that book, that volume. It was a lifetime work. I remember him dedicating his entire life to finish that work. And he said, son, what are you doing here? And the young man came forward. And he said, well, your honor, I'm here because I committed this crime. And the judge probed his conscience and says, on an inspiration, how are things with your dad? And the young man said, Dad, well, I remember when I went to Dad and I asked him advice. And he looked at me from his book, that darn book he was always working on, and he said, run along, boy, I'm busy. 
Later on, when I went to my dad for companionship, he turned me away saying, run along, son. I'm working on this book. I have a deadline. And again, all of my life, I sought out a friend, but all I found in my father was a distant, cold man, a workaholic, and somebody who never had time for me. And the judge breathed a heavy sigh because he knew the demands of his work, and he said out loud, alas, he finished the book, but he lost the boy. I know what that feels like. I'll do whatever. I'll, I'll finish the book. I want to be famous. I want to be well-known. I want to be a millionaire. I want to be thought well of. And yes, I will sacrifice the boy as well. What will you sacrifice? What is it that is the tank inside of your soul that is so unstoppable? That unquenchable fire that Jeremiah talks about, it won't come from heaven. It will come from your own soul and it will eat you up from the inside out. That unquenchable fire won't come from God. It will come from our own bowels as we eat ourselves up slowly, little by little, in order to achieve our workaholic ambitions. What's workaholism? I'll give you the definition from Dr. Barbara Killinger, PhD, from Psychology Today. Workaholism is this, a soul-destroying addiction that changes people's personality and the values they live by. It distorts the reality of each family member. It threatens family security and often leads to family breakup. Tragically, workaholics eventually suffer the loss of personal and professional integrity. I feel like lately I've been surrounded um, by a lot of broken marriages um, for some reason. Friends of mine, people that I know, yet another casualty. Another friend of mine told me very recently, good friend, and he said his wife basically filed for divorce. And the thing is, as I, as I wrestle, as I hear these things, and it just weighs heavily on me for some reason. The broken families, the things that we cannot take back, the lost hours, the things that we lay down in order to achieve our goals, the harm that we do to the relationships, the question is, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I'm not telling you not to work. Work is a good thing. I am saying, however, has your ego, has your ambition, has your desires, the things that you pursue, has it caused you to neglect the worship of God? Has it caused you the neglect of the people around you? Has it caused you, has it become a price too high to pay? And is it worth it? In closing, we're talking about work. Work. And the thing is this, our understanding of work will not get better unless we know how to step back, stand back, and look at what we do and rest. 
and reflect. God has given us the ability of reflection. To reflect on what we do for a living is vital. To reflect on what you do from Monday to Friday or Monday to Saturday for how, how many hours, it is vital to reflect on that and to have one day. And so in closing, once again, I want to open up this table, this cross that we have here. And what we did last Sunday, and in a beautiful act of worship and devotion, I invited people to come forward and to claim a business card. What does this business card say? SDG. And the story of SDG goes back to Johann Sebastian Bach, a Christian man who recognized that in the end, everything belongs to God. On every composition that he penned, whether it was sacred or secular, he always wrote on the bottom these three letters, S-D-G. And it was his way of saying, it all belongs to God, and all glory goes back to God. S-D-G stands for Soli Deo Gloria, all for the glory of God. And what I'd like to do is invite you forward at this time to take one of these business cards and to say, I heard something today that convicted me and that my work should no longer be for my ambitions alone because my ambitions are like that unstoppable tank. Instead, I work now for the glory of God. And if you feel led to come forward and to take one of these business cards, but I also want to give you another opportunity. And if you look here, there are a few business cards where people have laid down their own jobs and said, my work, here's my business card. They take out their, this is my business card, right? They take out their business card, and what they did last Sunday is they laid their job before the Lord, their business card, and say, it belongs to God, and I give it back. So if you have your business card with you and you didn't get a chance to do this last Sunday, I want to give you another chance, another chance to come forward at this time to lay down your work as a sacrifice to God, or... If you don't have your business card, alternatively, to just take one of these. Keep it in your wallet as a reminder. Maybe two years later, you'll look up and you'll say, it belongs to God. Work is tough. Work is hard. It comes from God. He gives and he takes away. And so we'll do that at this time. Open the floor as Bobby plays in the background and give you a chance to respond by coming forward. conclusion, I just want to say this, that Sabbath is about Jesus. When Jesus unpacks the Sabbath, you know what he says? I am the new Sabbath. It's not just about a day. It's about me. And what you do when you give your work to God is you take a step and you say, Jesus, 
you are true rest. You are the one that provides true soul rest. And at this time, I'd like to give you a chance, if you've never had the chance, but you feel the stirring in your heart, to let Jesus come in and give you the first full good night's sleep that you've ever experienced. The story of Louis Zamperini, who fought in World War II. He was also an Olympic runner. And the poor guy went through so much PTSD that every single night he had nightmares. But the day he accepted Jesus into his heart, he testified, and the psychologists couldn't understand it. His PTSD was healed. When he became a Christian, no longer did the nightmares return. Friends, would you like the first full night's rest? Jesus is true rest. Pray with me if that's something that you'd like today. God, I've been searching. I don't know if I've found what I've been looking for. I've been looking for something. Validation. Recognition. Affection. Acceptance. And I keep chasing those things. And I can't seem to catch it. Could you fill that need in my heart today? I invite you in to be the answer to all of my searching. I invite you to give me true rest from all of my chasing. I think I've found what I've been looking for now. Come live with me now, today, as I start a new beginning. I receive you into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a Woven Church podcast. Woven Church is a multi-ethnic missional church that meets in West Houston. We invite you to check us out on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. To find out more, visit us online at www.wovenchurch.org. That's www.wovenchurch.org.